Come on. Yeah, there we go. Man, we are so glad to have you join us at our 1030 service here at uh, Lindsay Lane North. Man, we uh, could not be happier to have you, whether this is uh, in person or online. Uh, we know we're streaming this as well, and so um, we are uh, appreciative and love to have you uh, be a part of what God is doing here at Lindsay Lane North. Before we get started, I need to address the elephant in the room. Yes, I am not feeling well. Um, this is the time where I have to eat crow because I have been pretty bullish uh, in the past about not being able to get sick. Um, the Lord has humbled me this week, and uh, so earlier this week, uh, I have been sick. Uh, I am not running a fever, have not run it in a while, so I am okay. I'm not uh, contagious. But uh, I am keeping my distance a little bit today just to uh, make sure. Pray for my voice that it holds out. Uh, I'm not just during this service, but I have also have some other things that I'll be speaking at. One of which is tonight here we are having an ordination service for Jeremiah Wesson. So uh, this will be the first ordination service that we have had at Lindsay Lane North. Uh, Will was ordained uh, but it was right as soon as we had started, and so he was actually ordained at the main campus. So this is the first one here at this location, so we're excited about that. Um, come tonight. You're welcome to be a part of it. We've got cake. Like, it's going to be great, all right? So we're super pumped uh, about Jeremiah, and I'm thankful for just the opportunity really to celebrate uh, what I know what God is already calling Jeremiah to, and, and I have great affirmation and confirmation uh, of that, and so I am would love for you and his church family. I know he would love for you to be a part of that as well. We've paused our women's and men's studies uh, for that, so please come out if you can, all right? Uh, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We are in the middle of a series entitled Everyday Mission. Everyday mission. Last week we talked about Jesus who had an encounter with a man named Matthew who identified something that God was doing in Matthew's life. He was already living with intentionality. He was intentional to address with Matthew what was going on. Jesus, though I'm sure as the son of God, right, as God with skin on, had places to be and people to see. But he chose, on his way, he chose to make time for a man named Matthew. And he told Matthew to follow him, and Matthew followed him closely, but he didn't just invite him, right? He didn't just, he didn't just see him and identify him, but he invested in him. For us, as Christ followers, our, our sharing of the gospel must be more than inviting people into a relationship with God. Oftentimes, it requires relationship with ourselves. That we must, we must be willing to sacrifice. We must be willing to allow people in to our lives so that they can be discipled, right? Matthew literally became one of the disciples, right? Well, today we're going to be talking about, the, in our second part of this two-part series, we're going to be talking about the idea of inviting and increasing. What, is, what does it look like for us to live with intentionality, not just in how we identify and invest, but how we invite 
And we see God bring the increase, bring the harvest, bring others into right relationship with himself. According to Lifeway Research, or excuse me, according to Billy Graham, evangelism, uh, uh, let's start over. According to the Billy Graham Evangelism Association, 82% of unchurched people responded that they would attend if a church service if they were invited by a friend. 82% of them. Now, this is the Billy Graham Evangelism Association, right? This isn't just a made-up statistic because, you know, like 83% of statistics are made up. Um, this is, <laughs> get it? I made that up. Got it? Cool. All right, it just wasn't funny. Great, I get it. All right, cool. That's fine. Y'all, I'm struggling here. Give me some sympathy laugh. It'd be great. Uh, So 82% of unchurched people would attend if they were invited by a friend. According to Lifeway Research, however, on average, only 2% of church attenders actively make church invitation a part of their life. On average, 2% of church attenders. I notice I didn't say believers, because that's not always a given in church attendance. But 2% of church attenders make invitation a routine part of their life. And listen, I know the calling of God on our life is not to share the beautiful gospel of come to church with me, right? I recognize that, but there is something that happens in church that we expose people to in the church that I believe absolutely has evangelistic ramifications. It's not where we should park it. But it's a great place to start. If 2% of attenders are doing that, let me encourage you to increase those odds, right? Because we see and we get to witness the presence of God in others. Last week, we talked about Christ's willingness to interrupt his schedule to identify and invest in lostness. He invested in Matthew. But he was only willing to do this because he recognized that though he was busy, right, the, doing the process of redeeming all of mankind would probably eat up time in the schedule, I would imagine, right? But he took the time because he understood, right, that his schedule was not his. It was solely determined by God. And where God was moving, he got involved in where he was doing. And you may say, well, of course he did that. He was God's son, He was Jesus with skin on. He was God with skin on. Like, of course he did that. I would remind you that according to Romans 8, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We are his children. Now, we may not be God, but we are his children. He has adopted us into his family. You must say, well, of course he did all this because he was, he was God, right? He was, he was God, but, and, and of course he would live and share and do those things. Well, in the same way that Jesus' message was to seek and to save those who were lost, so as his children we are to be about the same business. We are, about, about, we are to be about the glory of God demonstrated in the lives of others. And so we see that in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 15. Listen what it says. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And what a profound truth. The creator of all things, the one who declares the end from the beginning, has made himself available to our cry for help, for our cry for him. And so for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Would you join me in prayer? Father, your gospel is powerful and mighty, and we recognize its power in our life to do and accomplish what we could never do on our own strength and power. And so, God, may your gospel illuminate to us God, what you have done in our lives so that we could illuminate that light of the gospel in others. That we could see your glory extended as a result of our obedience to follow you wherever you lead us, Jesus. Help us to live with intentionality in all that we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Let's look first at the missionary and uh, his or her is what it should say there. I may be, let, let me just tell you, grammar police in here. Like I know we've got some in here. I don't see Leah, by the way, but I know she would get me on this. Oh, oh she's okay. She's, all, she's probably already changed it on the slides if she's running slides. Uh, I get that this is bad grammar, okay? When I am uh, studying on Tuesdays, I don't always, I guess, always look for grammatical correctness. I try to strive for theological correctness. Uh, maybe I should do a little of both. Um, but y'all just hang with me, okay? Sorry about that, but, uh, but let's look at the missionary and his or her message, all right? Uh, in the greater context of this passage, Paul is laying out clearly how to be saved. So y'all have heard of the Roman road, right? Where Paul is talking to believers. They believe to be about five home churches in the time that Paul is pinning the letter to the Romans. Five home churches that have created more than likely from Pentecost. We don't really know who started the church at Rome. There's some guesses uh, there's also some really incorrect guesses like Peter and Paul uh, that people believe, but we don't really know who it was. What we believe to happen is it can be all the way traced from the, to the day of Pentecost. Because on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, it says that there were people from Rome, Jews from Rome were there that day. And so what we believe to have happened, what scholars believe to have happened, is that people that were converted there at Pentecost, then went home and began to start churches in Rome. And so Paul is writing to Roman believers, Roman believers that he doesn't even know, that he has never really met. He's never visited the church at Rome. We believe that he did eventually get there, but in all of Paul's letters, he had not yet made it 
to Rome. And so he's writing to a bunch of believers. Can I, let me ask you a question. If I'm writing to a bunch of believers, why is it that he is laying out so explicitly the gospel to a bunch of saved folks? Well, I think two reasons. One, it's because it's really important that we understand. It's the same reason why on an off week, your favorite football team doesn't practice all these profound concepts. They practice the fundamentals. I believe it's very easy for us in the activity of church to miss the activity of the church, which is the movement of God amongst his people. The gospel. We miss it. We take it for granted. And we live our life the same way the rest of the world does. And so he's rehashing this to believers, one, to reinstill in them the awe of the gospel. But I believe it's important to understand that he's doing something else. The greater context of this passage gives us texts like Romans 10, 9 and 10. To confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. With the heart man believes, with the mouth he confesses. This is... This is the context of what he's saying here. But this is why. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not only does he want them to understand that they are part of the everyone and the awe of the gospel in their life, but he wants them to recognize that they are not all in everyone. For Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, yes, the gospel has come to me, but the gospel is made available to everyone. And so, because I'm not everyone, I owe the gospel to others. The gospel is greater than me. The gospel is greater than this gathering of believers. The gospel must saturate everything that we do. He is talking to a bunch of saved folks about the gospel because he's about to direct them to others. While everyone includes his immediate audience, it is not exclusive to him. The gospel is good news to everyone. I think it's really important to understand the context of the word gospel. Paul uses it Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we hear the word gospel, we immediately put our Christian lens on it, right? Like the gospel is a Christian thing. For those that he was writing to, that is not the case. They had another understanding for the word gospel. It was actually something that would happen in war when in the age of the empires in throughout history, the, the goal for many, many decades, for many um, generations, was to build the greatest empire you possibly could, to make it as broad and to span the entire known world, like from Alexander the Great and on, that's what they sought to do, was to make the empire as big as they possibly could. But there was a problem with that. The larger you made the empire, the more difficult your border became to secure, and so what would end up happening, by the way, it would cause the fall of Alexander the Great. It would cause the fall of the Persians, cause the fall of uh, the, all, all powers, right? Rome. He's writing to Rome. 
And Rome would eventually fall because they couldn't secure all their borders. It was too much to handle. Corruption inside and then expansion outside. But what would happen is when a barbaric tribe would come in and start messing with the townspeople, the townspeople would leave on the outskirts of the power of Rome. They would leave. They would, they would flee their home. They would seek refuge in other homes and other places closer to Rome. And then messenger words would be sent, hey, you know, to Rome. Hey, listen, the, these people have overtaken our village. Please send help. Please send help. Please send help. Well, then Rome would respond. Rome would send their troops. Rome would come in. Rome would uh, stamp out the insurrection. And then they would send a messenger. Once the enemy had been trampled and destroyed and been put down, they would send a messenger and he would go around the entire countryside and he would proclaim the gospel. And this is what the gospel was. Rome has defeated your enemy. You can return home to life as you knew it. Victory has been won. Now think about that. Someone understanding the good news messenger who would declare that Rome was victorious over their circumstances, now Paul is saying, I am not ashamed of the good news, the gospel herald that is Jesus Christ. He has won us the victory. And so because of that, that is what makes this good news. We have victory over death, hell, and the grave. The things that enslaved us, the things that destroyed us. We have victory over these things because of the good news of Jesus. This is our message. The message that came to you that whosoever would call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But secondly, we see the missionary and their mission. The missionary and their mission. Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You see, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved, the message of that is calling requires faith. Whoever would call on the name of the Lord would be saved. Whoever would put faith, confidence, and trust in the good news of the gospel that Jesus has defeated the enemy, they would be saved. And so calling requires faith. But while calling requires faith, what Paul is explaining, this, this literary technique that he's using from small, smallest to biggest, Right is honing in on something. Because he's not just saying that calling requires faith. He's saying that faith requires hearing. How are they going to have faith in something they have not heard? It is through hearing that all of us in this room, whether you are saved or not, have come to understand the good news of the gospel. You've heard it. You've heard it. You've had to hear it. 
Well, how did you hear it? You heard it because somebody preached it. The good news only came to you through someone bringing it to you. So calling requires faith. Faith requires hearing. But hearing requires preaching. And we're not talking about pulpit ministry. We're talking about everyday life ministry. We're talking about the preaching in as much as it is the good news of Jesus, the proclamation that we have victory over death. We have victory over, uh, over our sin. God has made a way for us to experience eternal life through him. We had to hear that. But we didn't hear that unless there was somebody that was bringing that to us. I love what Dave Early says in his book, Evangelism Is. He says this, God will always do in evangelism what we cannot do. It is God's responsibility to move and to change the hearts of people. There is nothing, no eloquence or articulation that you could use to save anyone. It is only the power of the gospel through your availability, uh, through the Holy Spirit's intervention in the life of somebody else, that only the Holy Spirit can do the work of salvation. So in evangelism, God will do what, he, what we cannot do. But the necessity of evangelism is this. In evangelism, God will not do what we can do. God has sent his son. He has provided good news, but it is incumbent upon us to be ministers of the new covenant. What did Paul say? We are ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors. It is our job to live intentionally, to live with, with the desire to share, to the willingness to let others in on the gospel that has changed our life. This is our mission this is our mission. So God will do what he can do. God will bless obedience, right? And God can move in the heart of people. So if they reject your message, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. They're rejecting the Holy Spirit. Trust God to do what only God can do because God has given us a task. We are his plan A to spread the gospel and there is no plan B. I've said this before, but you know, we spend a lot of money tracing our physical heritage. People spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to find out who their great, 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 great Mima and Papa were. But you know what I'm more concerned about? I'm more concerned about the line of faithful believers that bought in to this idea. The preachers that preach to one generation, that preach to another generation, that preach to another generation, that preach to another generation, that eventually found its way to a four-year-old little boy in Lick Skillet, Alabama, in the back of his aunt and uncle's backyard, beside a swing set through his cousin, who faithfully shared the message of the good news 
gospel. Faithful entrustment of the gospel, the light of the gospel shared from generation to generation until it came to me. This is what Jesus is teaching. This is what Paul is sharing. This is the power of that gospel. This is the mission of the church. Jesus confirmed it. Matthew chapter 5, you can turn there in the Sermon on the Mount. Very popular passage of Scripture, right? A very simple passage of Scripture that even a child can understand. How do I know a child can understand it? Because we've made a song about it. Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. I think it's interesting, John chapter 8, Jesus called himself the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, he tells the disciples, you are the light of the world. A city sat on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This little light of mine. Right? This is not, this is not rocket science here. <laughs> Worship pastors will worship pastor. They just can't help themselves. It's cool. Uh, <clears throat> letting your light shine. You are the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. What's beautiful about the gospel is that he places his light within us. We are a reflection of the presence of of God in our life. But we understand that the world that we live in is in darkness. Would y'all kill the lights for me, please? Awesome. We live in a world of darkness. I don't have to tell y'all that. Y'all know that. There's darkness all around. There's hurting people. There's brokenness. What Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, what Paul is telling the church of Rome, this church, we've got, we've got to let our little light shine. We've got to let our light so shine before men, not secretly in the inner recesses of our home, not under a bushel, but on a stand, on a lampstand, so that it gives light to all that are in the house, that despite the overwhelming darkness, we have the light of life, and that in the middle of darkness, light is drawing people to it. The light in darkness has a drawing and an inviting effect People are invited when they see the difference that Christ has made in our life. And when that is shared with others, what is different about who we are, what is different about you than me, we communicate the light of Christ. But ultimately, 
Thirdly, let's look at the missionary and their master. Because this is great, right? Calling requires faith. Faith requires hearing. Hearing requires preaching. But preaching requires sending. Somebody had to send the preachers. Romans 10, 15. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Beautiful feet is an oxymoron, right? Feet aren't pretty. Feet certainly aren't beautiful. But in Jesus' day, the foot would be the most disgusting part of any human because of their, their transportation They were the way they got around. They were nasty. In fact, cleaning the feet was relegated to the lowest of slaves. But Paul would quote the prophet Isaiah saying, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the light of the gospel within them to a world that's in darkness. Paul is saying, one person wrote that Paul is saying that the preaching of the Christian message is impossible without divine commission. It is God who has called us to share. And so we don't just enjoy our little light, but we take our little light on the road. We take it on the road and we take it to others. We take it to others, and then they, in turn, take it to others. And they bring the gospel of Christ. While Paul is explaining the gospel's message from the perspective of an individual, right? The gospel came to me. How did it come to you? It came to you through your ears, through hearing. How did it come through hearing? It came through preaching. How did it come through preaching? God sent them. The literary technique that he uses is one of small to large reasoning. He uses place, what he, how he does this places way more emphasis on more than just the individual light of the believers, but on the God who is the light of the world that is sending us out into darkness. It places a microscope on, under the person who is sending us out on God whose divine initiative is for us to take the gospel, the light of the gospel to a lost and dying world. In fact, John Stott said, the essence of Paul's argument is better understood in reverse. Christ sends heralds. That is the most important thing. Christ sends heralds. Heralds preach. People hear. Hearers believe. Believers call. And those who are called are gloriously pointed to the one who sent the people, the preachers in the beginning... And they are saved. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul would explain it to Corinth this way. So neither he, nor, he who plants 
nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so if you have a lit candle in the room, would you just join me on stage? Because I want you to understand this idea of an invitation. Because in our church, I'm not just one little light that's shining brightly, but we are a collection of believers. Now all of a sudden, it's not about what little light I can generate, but it's about seeing the light as God has brought the increase, as, he, as we have invited others to be a part of this relationship. We see this light in others. And now when we gather When we gather together, we are stronger in the darkness. When people in darkness see the church, they should see it as this, a collection of lights that is shining in the darkness and compounding the effect and allowing others to come. Allowing others and drawing people into the right relationship with Christ. So God, Jesus is light. We are light But 2 Corinthians 4 tells us the light is the gospel of Jesus. May it be true that this light of mine will shine, but that your light will shine in darkness, that it will pierce people's hardness of heart, that it will minister to brokenness and God will use our bit, our little bit of obedience to bring people into right relationship with himself. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? As the house lights are brought up, if you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have that light within you. That's not something you muster on your own. That's something that you come to God about. Whosoever, how did it start? Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. My friend, if you will put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you will surrender to him as Lord and Savior of your life, you can find forgiveness of your sin and victory over death, hell, and the grave. So if you're here and you need a relationship with Jesus Christ, and whether you're listening online or you're here in person, you're the most important person here. is inviting you to be a part of his increase. The same increase that has led to so many that some 2,000 years later, the church is still growing and thriving. You can be a part of that. If you would put your faith and your confidence in Jesus Christ. You would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you would believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. It's Romans 10.
And so if you're here and you need that relationship, I pray that you would respond before it's everlasting too late. No, God doesn't promise tomorrow, but he promises right now in this moment. Right now in this moment, you can make the decision to commit your life to Jesus. Allow him to make you new and to place his light, the light of his beautiful gospel in you today. So if you're here and that's a decision that you need to make, I want to give you that opportunity. In just a moment when I say amen, I'm going to ask you to come. We've got counselors waiting. We would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have the relationship with Jesus Christ. So we would invite you to respond to that message. Whatever the Holy Spirit would lead you to do, we pray that you would respond, that you'd come, that you'd find me here at this, in this center aisle. We've made it easy. We put one aisle in this place. Find the center aisle. Find me. I would love to link you up with somebody that can know, so you can tell you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. For you that's online, we've created a connect card, a way for you to respond as well. You can click this in that initial link and let us know about whatever Christ is doing in your heart and life, whatever decision you'd like to make. Or maybe just any conversation that needs to be had. But I pray that you would respond today as the Spirit leads. Father, I pray for those that need your light. God, the needs, hope, the hope of the mystery of the gospel that is Christ in me, the hope of glory. I pray that we would respond to you today. I pray for the one that needs to receive you as Lord and Savior. Give them boldness. Give them strength to do just that, to respond in this time of invitation, regardless of who's watching, regardless of what's going on around them, that they would hone in, that they would respond to you in obedience to you. They would take that step of faith is required to call upon the name of the Lord. But Lord, that you would strengthen them and embolden them. And strengthen all of us, Lord, to make the decisions that we need to live the life that we need to live, to have the priority in our life to invite and Lord, to see your increase as you pair the supernatural with our very natural and ordinary. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. Be with those that need to respond. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing? Would you come? If you need to make any decision today, would you come as we sing?